Well, scary Christmas, everyone. <laughs> My name's Dwayne. I'm one of the pastors here. It'll all make sense in a few moments, but I'm so glad to see you. Uh, I'm, I'm honored I get to share with you today, kind of looking at this idea of Christmas, uh, how do we face our fears? And you may not associate Christmas and fears, but man, this whole story is full of scary stuff. Now, everyone faces fear. All of us that walk in here today, we have some fears. Now, us guys, we like to hide it. We don't like to let people know we have fears, but we all have fears. Maybe your fear is uh, that if everybody knew the real you, they wouldn't like you. There's a fear of insignificance, that your life won't really matter. There's a fear of dying alone. There's a fear of never being loved or finding true love again. There's the fear that the traffic light cameras may have caught you entering that intersection just a little late. How many of you ever had that fear? Okay, I'm just, okay, a lot of you are with me, right? Did they get me? I don't know. I didn't know. It was... But, you know, the truth is we've sanitized and we've romanticized the Christmas story. We can do that because we know how it turns out. We know that in the end it's all good, but it wasn't good news for the people who heard it for the first time. In fact, if you read through the story again this week, you'll see that it scared everyone to death. The angels had to say, fear not to the shepherds, to a priest named Zechariah, to Mary, to Joseph. Everybody was afraid. The Bible even tells us the whole city of Jerusalem was in turmoil and upset and nervous and worried when they heard that the Messiah had been born. And when you read through the story, you'll see that the fears that these characters had, these real people, you'll see that the fears that they had are fears that you and I still struggle today. And we struggle with these same fears 2,000 years later. But the message of Christmas, time and time again, God says, fear not, fear not. But how do we face real fears without living in fear. That's what we want to talk about together today. Now, the reason we use this TV show, it's a very popular show. It's, it's funny. It's not for everybody, but it's a funny show, science fiction. I love those kind of shows. Very interesting characters. It's got the great 80s culture and music. That's kind of fun. But really, at the heart of it all, it's kind of creepy. It's kind of scary because there's a battle going on that people can't see. There's a battle going on uh, and, and many people refuse to believe that it's real. It's full of the supernatural. But you say, well, come on, what does that have to do with what we're, we're here as Christians? But, you know, we're in a supernatural battle, too. And think about the Christmas story. It couldn't have been much stranger. I mean, really, a virgin birth, a teenage girl who never had sex, having a baby, angels showing up in the sky, a bright star guiding the wise men to the to the. See the little baby? I mean, come on. It's a pretty strange story. And in Stranger Things, there's a band of teenage friends. They're, they've, they've discovered the truth, and they're trying to let everybody else know, and nobody believes them. And Jesus came. You know, the, first, these friends, they're trying, to, they're trying to keep things from getting turned upside down. But in the Bible, we see that Jesus came because the world's already been turned upside down by sin and by Satan. And he's trying to turn the world right side up but people don't want to believe Jesus either. And let's just be honest, okay? God works in really strange ways, doesn't he? I mean, just think for a minute. Uh, think about Pastor Paul. I mean, God works through somebody like Pastor Paul or me or you, right? He works in strange ways. He works through us. It's amazing. And the Bible says God uses the foolish to humble the wise. And so write this down. The first Christmas was a scary Christmas. It was marked by fear and wonder. It was a scary Christmas. There was a lot of fear. And fear is an unpleasant emotion caused by the belief that something is dangerous and likely to cause pain. 
whether it's really going to happen or not, you have this fear, this belief that something's going to hurt you physically, emotionally, relationally. Something's going to hurt you. Well, let's, let's highlight a few of these fears they faced at Christmas. First, there's the fear of disappointment. The fear of disappointment. Zachariah was the priest. His, his wife was Elizabeth. She was Mary's cousin. And so the angel came first to, Zach, uh, to, to Elizabeth and Zachariah to tell them they're going to have a son because he's going to be John the Baptist and he's going to prepare the way for Jesus. He's going to announce his arrival. He's going to prepare people's hearts. And this angel shows up and talks to Zachariah. And Zachariah and his wife, Elizabeth, they're so old. They've never had any kids. They're, they've faced disappointment after disappointment. And when the angel shows up and says, you're going to have a son, he can't even believe them. He can't believe it. He's, he has the fear of disappointment. He's not going to get his hopes up one more time. And maybe you can relate to the fear of disappointment. There's the fear of inadequacy. <clears throat> can you remember when you were around 13, 14, 15 years old? I mean, can you imagine if an angel showed up and told you you're going to have a baby? And you, you're like, what? How could that be? How could that happen? And not only that, it's not just any baby. You've got to raise God's son. I mean, that... that I was nervous enough just bringing my kids home from the hospital, much less having to raise God's son. How do you think Mary felt? Well, you don't have to wonder how she felt. The Bible tells us. The angel showed up and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Do you circle that little phrase there, greatly troubled? It's going to show up again in the story. But greatly troubled comes from, the root is in a Greek word, terasso, and it means to agitate, to trouble, to strike one's spirit with fear or dread. Oh, man, this, this, this amazing, incredible, supernatural being showed up, said you're highly favored, gave her this news. She's like afraid uh, and felt inadequate, the fear of inadequacy, that I'm not good enough. I can't do what I need to do. Then there's the fear of disapproval, you know, disapproval. Mary had to worry about what is everybody going to think about me? Who's going to believe my story? And in her world, the stigma for unwed moms and sex outside of marriage was severe, extreme, shameful. She had to worry about the disapproval of her, her fiancé. In fact, when she tells Joseph about her pregnancy, he decides he's going to break off the engagement. He decides that he loves her. He's not going to shame her publicly, but he's just going to break off the engagement. And so an angel had to come and talk to Joseph. It scared him too. But she was, she, was, she was fear of this disapproval. And you, can you imagine being this young teenage girl and you're trying to explain this to your parents, you're trying to explain it to your friends, you're trying to explain it to your priest, and people are like looking at you and looking down at you and disapproving of you. And she had, all, she had these fears all wrapped up in that. And Joseph had those fears. What are people going to think of me marrying this girl who, who's having a baby that's not even mine? I mean, think about it. Come on, Joseph. <laughs> your fiance's pregnant? And you're not the dad? Well, who is it? God? Really? Come on, Joseph. You know, I mean, all these fears, the, the fear of the spiritual and the unknown. People, many people are afraid of spiritual things. They're afraid of encountering God or, or, or any other kind of spiritual beings. And these shepherds, they were out in the field. And, and someone said to me, like, shepherds are kind of like surfers. If you know any surfers, like Vince or somebody around here, you know some, they, they face some fears, they go out, but they're just so laid back, they don't really worry about stuff, they just kind of enjoy life. They have this job, they have to face wild animals, but, but you know, it's kind of like camping every night, right? They sit around the campfire with all their buddies and have a good time, and boom, all of a sudden there's this bright light in the sky. And we kind of take that for granted because we, we see bright lights in the sky all the time, right? 
but they'd never seen an electrical light. They didn't even have, you know, they didn't have the flashlight app on their cell phones yet. They didn't have that stuff. Boom, the last skies lit up. I mean, how scary would that be? Dark as can be, and boom, and then the angels talk to them, and they're afraid. They don't know what's going on. Are these extraterrestrials? What, what's, and then they hear the news, the Messiah is here. It changes everything, and they were afraid. And then there's the fear of change and losing control. You know, I'm sure Mary and Joseph faced that fear. Nothing like having a child to bring a sense of change and loss to your life. <laughs> Amen from any parents. <laughs> and then they turn into teenagers. You have no control, right? But on top of that, you know, there was this census, and they had to go to Bethlehem. Now, I don't know about you ladies and when you were pregnant, but I remember when my wife was pregnant, and that last month, she could be pretty scary. And I didn't really blame her. I didn't blame her because, man, I, I was, like, nervous about going to the hospital, and I'm like, wow, how's that baby getting out of you? And, you know, it's, just, it's like watching the movie Alien or something. And, man, it wouldn't take much to set her off. She's so uncomfortable, right? I would have been scared to death to go to my wife and say, honey, we've got to go across the bay, but I'm going to saddle up the donkey, okay? I mean, she would have killed me, you know what I'm saying? You talk about fear. All these things out of their control. Had to deliver a baby in a barn. I mean, parents are so nervous, want everything to be just right, got your birth plan, you go to the hospital, and we're in these sanitized environments, she's delivering a baby in a barn. But think about King Herod. He was the ruler at the time. He was, he was the king of the Jews. He was, he was like a one percenter. He was living it up. He had all the comforts and luxury, but he was hated by most of the Jews. He wasn't a full Jew, and he was collaborating with the Roman government, but he's enjoying life. But this dude has a lot of fear. He's paranoid. In fact, history tells us that he had his brother-in-law, his mother, one of his wives, and two of his sons killed because he was afraid at different times they were scheming to get his throne. Now, how do you think that family get-together at the holidays was when the rest of the family showed up? You know, you know oh, where's your, oh, yeah, I forgot. You took her out last year. Sorry, Dad. Uh, oh, this is a lot of stress, you know. Well, look what the Bible says. It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem, and they asked, where is the one who has born, been born king of the Jews? We saw a star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. Can you circle that word? Same word, same root word that was used for Mary. He's filled with fear and dread. Oh no, here's another person trying to get, trying to get my throne. And all of Jerusalem with him. It, 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 it created a little fear and nervousness in the whole city. And at Christmas, we sing silent night, holy night. All is calm, all is bright. But it wasn't that calm at the original Christmas story. It was a scary, tense, stressful time. And we still face these types of fears today and many more. I don't know which fear you struggle the most with. Maybe one on that list. You might want to circle it or you want to write another fear down that you're, you're carrying right now. I remember as a little kid, you know, you go to bed and I have my own room and I'd have nightmares and then I'd be, a, I was so scared. I was scared to get out of the bed because I knew something was going to grab me from under the bed. I'd, I'd have to get down and look under uh, before I could go run to my parents' room. Probably none of you ever had that happen. But you get an adult, you don't really have, I don't really have those kind of fears. But you know, I can say sometimes I wake up at four in the morning and I start wondering, man, I wonder if my parents are going to be okay. I wonder if my kids are going to make the right choice. I start getting a little worried and afraid. 
Man, I wonder if I'm going to ever, if, if when I retire, I'll have enough money to pay my bills. I wonder if my health will be good. And you, start, you have these fears going through your mind. How do you face these fears? Fear of inadequacy, fear of loss of control. Well, we need to understand something that this is, this is at the root of, of all these problems and fears and worries we have. Is Satan, he likes to sow doubt and fear. Would you write that down? He likes to sow doubt and fear. Now, before we talk more about him, you know, how he works, I just want to remind you, you don't have to live in fear of Satan, okay? I'm not trying to scare you. We know that he's already been defeated by what Jesus did on the cross. God's allowing him to still have some power or authority here on earth for a time, but the Bible says there's going to come a day when God is going to end him, and, and he will not be a, be a threat anymore. But the Bible also tells us some important things that we need to be aware of. Paul told us this, it's my duty to make sure that Satan does not win even a small victory over us, for we don't want to be naive and then fall prey to his schemes. Just circle that word schemes, his plan. You know, he, he, he's real. A lot of people don't want to believe he's real. In the story in Stranger Things, people didn't want to believe there's really this threat from another dimension, this supernatural threat. Well, Satan is real and he's a threat and he wants nothing more than to mess with your mind. He wants to, he's the real mind flare. He wants to get you to doubt God. He wants to get you to mistrust God because that's the root of fear when you have doubts, when you don't trust God, when you, your, your faith gets weak. When you think back to the, the Garden of Eden, what did he do? He convinced Adam and Eve that they wouldn't be like God if they didn't try this fruit out. And they ha at the root of that's really a fear. I'm going to miss out. I'm not going to be like God. And Satan uses all these kind of fears and temptations. He, he might tempt you with money or sex or pleasure or, or take things in your own hands like Herod. Just if you, if you do this, everything will be okay. You can control it. But at the root of it all is lies and fear. He sows these things. He, he whispers in your mind. And here's what Jesus said about Satan. The devil was a murderer from the beginning. There's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language for he is a liar and the father of lies. And that's what he's all about. He's already been defeated. He hates God. He hates you and me because God loves us and he wants to destroy us. He wants to take us out. He wants to mess with our minds. He's lying to us and his ultimate goal is to destroy us. But even though we have these fears, real fears, we all have real, it's not, it's just human. We're going to have some fears. We're not in control. We don't have to live in fear. So how can we respond to fear? How do I face and overcome the fears in my life so that they don't hold me back? Well, first, let me encourage you to resist panic and paralysis. Panic and paralysis. One way to respond to fear is just, oh, man, you just kind of freak out and worry and, and you just can't take any action. You're so afraid. Uh, Franklin D. Roosevelt, he was a brave man. He, he was paralyzed. He, he faced that physical uh, ailment. But he was, one, he was a, quite a man who, who, out of his character, his strength, his, his courage, he led the nation through much of the Depression and World War II, and he gave a speech one time, and he said, let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself, nameless, unreasoning, unjustified terror, which paralyzes needed efforts to convert retreat into advance. So man, be careful. You don't let fear paralyze you. Now, are any of these fears paralyzing you today that we've been talking about? Maybe you feel inadequate. Maybe you wonder, am I good enough? Do I have the right stuff? Can, can I handle all that life throws at me? Am I, 
Am I, am I living a life that pleases God? Am I a good enough husband and father and wife, follower of Christ? Am I, am I good enough? And you can focus on the failures that you made and let that, those fear of repeating it again into the future. Sometimes people get so afraid and discouraged, they just give up. I'm not even going to try anymore. It's useless. I can't do it. And fear paralyzes them. Maybe you're struggling with the fear of disapproval. You hate to be criticized or misunderstood. You fear rejection. I mean, nobody likes that stuff. But it's so strong for you that you become a people pleaser. You're not really living your life. You're not living the life God intended for you. You're just trying to please and keep everybody else happy. Some people are, you know, living their lives trying to please their parents. And they died 10 years ago. But you're still trying to prove to them, hey, I'm worthy. I'm good enough. Some people are trying to prove something to your, you've been trying to prove to your spouse or your friends for years that you're good enough. And, you know, if people haven't given you, your, you their approval by now, this is probably not going to happen. Don't live to, for other people's approval. Don't worry about what they think. Some of you hate change. You want 2020 to be just like 2019. You don't want anything to change in your life, but I, I got bad news for you about that. <laughs> That's about like the only thing you can count on is things are going to change, right? How about the fear of losing control? I don't want anybody messing with my plans. How, how do you know when, when you have the fear of losing control? When you start to worry. Worry is like that warning light on your dashboard. You're, you're afraid of, of losing control. When you worry, at that moment when you're worrying, when you cross the line from concern to worry, you're really playing God. You're like, man, uh, how can I fix this? How can, how can I prevent this? How can I stop this? How can I do this? And you know, one thing life has taught me, uh, you probably learned this too, you're not God, right? <laughs> I'm not God. I'm, I'm not in control. But worry is when you're trying to change something. It doesn't help with anything. How about the fear of being disappointed? Some of you, you've been, you've had your heart broken and you're like, I'll never get close to another man or another woman or, or you've been let down by people. You, people you trusted betrayed you and you're like, I, I'll never get into another small group. I'll never open up and share. Or maybe you just have a fear of encountering God and what that might mean for your life. Just be aware that Satan wants to use fear to get you to, to get to this point of inaction where you're not doing anything, you're not responding, you're not doing the positive things you need to do. Second, give up preservation and control. Now this is a hard one. We all want to, we all just kind of want to pick things back up, but preservation and control, that was Herod's response to everything. He feared losing power and comfort and privilege, prestige. And here's what happened. Matthew tells us, Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. An angel showed up to the wise men and told him, don't go back to Herod, go back another way. Herod wanted to know where this baby was and they didn't tell him. So Herod sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. And can you imagine? This guy was so paranoid. He wanted to make sure he got Jesus, so he took out all the kids who could have possibly been Jesus. I mean, the wise men didn't show up on the night he was born. Somewhere in that two-year period, they showed up to worship Jesus. And Herod said, well, I'm going to make sure I get him. I'm going to take him all out. You see, as hard as he tried to preserve things and control things, an angel showed up and warned Mary and Joseph, and they fled to Egypt. You talk about some more fears they had to face. They were refugees. They had to go to another country, live in another place. But that's another story. But man, give up preservation and control. No matter how hard Herod tried, he still couldn't control things. 
The third, so, so instead of trying to control everything, I, I want to challenge you to live like number three. Surrender my life completely to God. So you got Herod's response, but this is really Mary's response. Surrender my life completely to God. Man, if it helps you get up in the morning every day, say, God, I want to live for you, but I got a lot of things pulling at me. I got some fears and worries and temptations and stress. Would you help me? But I want to surrender to you. I want to live for you. See, Mary, when she, she got this news and she felt inadequate, look how she responded. She said, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. Can you underline that phrase? I am the Lord's servant. Herod's response was, I'm no one's servant. You're going to serve me. I live for me and me alone. I'm going to look out for me. And Mary said, I'm the Lord's servant. I live for the Lord and he will look out for me. It's a big difference. And she surrendered her life. And I just want to tell you, you know, that's a constant struggle in life to fully surrender to God. It's a daily battle. That's why Jesus said, take up your cross daily. It's a constant battle. You know, I, I wish I got it right more often. But I'm telling you, the sweet times in life when you just know you're in the, man, and you're just fully surrendering, you're doing what God wants you to do, you're living for him, it feels so good, and you know that he's got your back because you're living for him, you're in his plan. I guarantee you right now that every one of you in this room, God is asking you to do something risky. Every one of you in this room, he didn't ask you to play it safe. The Bible says he's created you for good works. What is God asking you to do? Are you saying yes to God? Are you living a life like Mary? Are you saying, no, I'm, I'm afraid to do it. I'm not good at it. I can't do that. People might not like me if I do that. People might think I'm weird or, or, or I, might, I might not come through. I might not do it right. And God's created you for good works, whether sharing your faith, serving someone in the community, teaching a, a class at church or leading a life group. Uh, it could be anything. But God's asking you to do something. You're not here by accident. And he's got something he wants you to do. And parents, I want to ask you, what might God be asking your kids to do that you're afraid of? I've, I've known parents whose kids, man, young teenagers, they, they sense God's call in their life. They want to be a pastor or a student leader or a children's director or a missionary. Or they want to go in the community and work with the homeless. And you know what mom and dad say? Well, don't do that. You won't make enough money. That's fear. That's fear, not trusting that God can take care of your kids. My, I want my kids to do what God made them to do because I know that's the best place to live and the best place to be. It might be scary, but you know, I, I answered God's call. I had nothing. I had no money. Nothing. And God, God's always provided what I needed. And he'll provide for you and he provided for Mary. Can't let these fears hold us back. We surrender to God. Because you might be thinking, what's it going to cost me if I say yes to God? But I want to ask you, what's it going to cost if you say no to God? Joseph and Mary would have missed out on the, what a great privilege and honor to raise Jesus. But not only that, they would have missed walking in that sweet spot with God, knowing that they're in his will, that they're walking with God, that they're right with God, that no matter what comes, God's got their back. God's going to walk through it with them. Would have cost them purpose and meaning. In Job, we read, surrender your heart to God, turn to him in prayer, and give up your sins, even those you do in secret. Then you won't be ashamed, you'll be confident and fearless. You'll rest safe and secure, filled with hope and empty of worry. You want to 
get rid of some fear and worry in your life, not let it control you. Man, make things right with God. Confess your sins. Surrender your life to him. I want to challenge you. Pre-decide that you're going to live a life of yes, God. Have you ever said to God, God, you're my, you're my creator. You made me. You love me. You know what's best for me. Do whatever you want with me in my life. That's a scary prayer. You give up control. If you haven't done that, though, you're going to live in this constant tension because God's going to be in, deep inside. God's always going to be pulling at you to take some steps, to step out. And when you say no to God, you're going to know that something's not right. You're not going to have peace. You know, the wise men, when they, when they came to worship Jesus, they brought him some expensive gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I don't have a lot of expensive gifts. Maybe you don't have a lot of expensive things that you can give to Jesus. But you know, Pastor Paul and I were talking this week, and he said, you know, if you have nothing, everyone can surrender their heart to God. Anyone can give God their life and live for him. And it doesn't matter what kind of person you've been or what's in your past, God welcomes you with open arms. God will never ask you to do something that he won't give you the resources and the ability to do with his help. He's going to ask you to do something you cannot do by yourself. I guarantee you that. But he's going to ask you to do something that with his help, you can do it. This phrase, I am the Lord's servant, I don't know why, but for the last six months or so, that phrase has been going through my head. It's kind of funny. I was reading the Christmas story this week. I go, oh, that's what Mary said. I'm trying to live with that kind of life. Because I'm facing a lot of uncertainty in life. You know, my parents' health, kids, things going on in my world and in my work. And I'm like, man, I don't have control. But you know what? I don't belong to me. I belong to God. I have to trust him. He's going to help me. He's going to place me. He's going to use me to do whatever he wants me to do. You know, I don't have any regrets. 35 years ago, I said yes to, to God. I don't have any regrets for what he's asked me to do and the things I've done. It hasn't always been easy. But the only, the only regrets I really have is those times I look back and I realize, man, I blew it. I, I didn't really do what God wanted me to do in that situation. I wish I'd said yes even more consistently. And the fourth thing, this is key, defend my mind. Replace the voices of fear. You can't just remove something from your life. You've got to replace it with something else. Proverbs tells us, above all else, guard your heart. Your heart, like the center of your being, not just your physical beating heart, not just your emotions, your mind, who you are. Guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. You underline that phrase, above all else. And think about what, what are you listening to for the most part during the week? What kind of voices are you hearing? Because there's a battle for your mind. Satan wants to rip your mind apart. He wants to flay your mind. He wants to convince you that you can't trust God. He wants to convince you to live in fear. And you have to be careful. I'm not talking just about what you watch for entertainment or what you listen to, but I'm talking about the voices around you. Are you, are you listening to a lot of voices of fear and discouragement and worry? Man, if you're listening to talk radio and the news all the time, you need to know what's going on, but you don't need to wallow in it. You know what I mean? Just know what's going on and move on. You don't need to listen to that all day. Are the people around you all day, are they negative? Are they gossipy? Are they critical? Man, it's just going to bring you down and fill your life with fear. You know, I had these friends years back in another church. Nobody here. Uh, man, every time I would see them, I, I guarantee I was in a small group with them every week. Man, Dwayne, do you know if you eat too much of this, it'll kill you? You know, if you drink too much of that, it'll kill you? 
do you know if you go here and you don't wash your hands all the time, it'll kill you? Finally, I said, you know what? You know what I learned? Living will kill you. That's what I told him. <laughs> and you can't listen to that stuff all the time. They're in fear, you know, every, all the time. And, and it's, it's not just the voices around you, but we lie to ourselves. Sometimes we tell ourselves, well, I'm doing better than, than I really am, or I'm doing worse than I really am, and we believe those lies, or I'm not good enough, and I can't do it, and I can't trust God. And you don't have to listen or believe what you're telling yourself. You need to replace it with something else. Paul said this, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. They have divine power to demolish strongholds. He's talking about things that have supernatural power, like God's word and the Holy Spirit. He said, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Underline that phrase, take captive every thought. You're in a battle. You've got to recognize the thoughts. We all got negative thoughts and fearful thoughts and worry. What do we do? Fear is the opposite of faith. We've got we to gotta attack them. One of the things I've learned over the years working with people emotions are contagious and fear and worry is one of the most contagious fear and worry and negativity so you gotta you gotta remove some of that negative stuff from your environment and put more positive in get, get uh, you might if you're not in a life group or you're not connected with some people of faith that's why it's so important to get in a life group and build some friendships with some people who are trying to hang on to their faith hang on to god and live lives that are positive Think about all the fearful and negative voices Mary had to block out in her mind. I mean, people probably came up to her all the time. Well, how are you going to make it? How, how are you going to do it? How, how, is, Joseph gonna, is Joseph still going to marry you? It's not his baby. Or really, Mary, really, it's, it's God's baby, really? You want me to believe that? I think the voices got so negative around her and her world and her small town she lived in. She finally left home and went to spend three months with her cousin Elizabeth a woman of faith and courage. So you got to take your thoughts captive. you got to replace the lies and fear first. Let me, let me encourage you to replace some things with praise. Praise. Get some worship music. Write your own. Read the Psalms. When Mary was frightened and disturbed about what God had asked her to do, she wrote a song about it. She sang. And it's in, the, it's in Luke 1. Part of, just a small part of it's there on your outline. It says, Oh, how my soul praises the Lord. How my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For the Mighty One is holy. And he has done great things for me. So when you're praising God, when you're worshiping God, your focus is off of you and it's on God and his character, his goodness, his promises. One of the ways we can overcome our fear, when, we feel, when you start feeling yourself getting all wrapped up and disturbed and afraid and worried, man, that's a warning sign. I need to step back. I need to, I need to have some time with God. I need to praise. I need to listen to God. You know, when, when all these people in the story, when they were hit with this fear, well, not all of them, but <laughs> Zachariah, he sang. Elizabeth sang. The angels sang. Mary sang. The shepherds sang. I don't know why Joseph didn't sing. Maybe he sings like me. Maybe he was afraid of, he was afraid of disapproval. I don't know what it was, but he was a little afraid. But praise is the antidote to panic. Praise is the antidote to worry. Because when you're scared, all your focus is on you. You're afraid of something painful that's going to happen. But when you're worshiping God, your focus is on Him. And the closer you get to God, the less fear you're going to have. Fear's not going to go away, but you're going to be able to face it. And get closer to God. The second way to take your thoughts captive is replace lies and fear with faith in God's promises. Replace 
lies and fears with faith in God's promises. If you step back and think about what, are your, what is your trust really in? What are you counting on to make sure that you're going to be okay in 2020? Is it your abilities, your talents, your education? Is it your bank account? Is it your job? Is it the economy? Is it politicians? You know, what do you put your hope in? What can you count on? You know, God wants you to count on his word, to trust in him. The Bible contains over 7,000 promises that God's made to us. It'd be silly to go through life and not know what those promises are. There's promises from God to you about your finances, about your health, about your relationships, about your career, about your, your past, your present, your future, about forgiveness of sins, about eternal life. They're all there. But if you don't know them, you're still going to be a little nervous. And if you can't trust God, face your fear by trusting God. Read his word. Now, as I'm wrapping up here, I'm going to be talking just a couple more minutes. The, the ushers are going to come and pass out communion elements. So I'm asking you to multitask for just a moment. Whatever you do, don't hold the communion elements and your outline and answer the phone, okay? That's going to be a mess. Don't, don't do all three. But ushers, go ahead and come up and pass those out. And what communion is, it's, it's one of the ways that we remember what God did for us. Communion should be something that helps bolster your faith, bolster your courage, help you to face your fears. And if, if it's something that Jesus told his followers to do to remember his death. And if you're here and you haven't, you haven't, oh, by the way, there's two cups stacked together. Make sure you get two cups. If you haven't come to that place yet where you put your faith and trust in Jesus, maybe today you want to take communion with us and say, today I'm putting my faith in Jesus. I declare my faith. If you're not ready to do that, you can let it pass by or if you want to participate, that's up to you. But the Bible contains 7,000 promises. And here's what Elizabeth told Mary when she got to her cousin's house. Elizabeth said, you are blessed because you believe that the Lord would do what he said. How does that bless you, believing God's word? If you believe God's promises, it's going to give you peace to know that he'll never leave you nor forsake you. It's going to give you peace to know that you're his beloved child. That he's Emmanuel, God with us. You don't have to go through life alone. It's going to give you peace to know that God's already won. And no matter what happens on earth, in the end, we win when we're with Christ. And we will be in an eternity in heaven with him. But if you doubt God and his promises, you're going to be full of anxiety and worry and having to take it on yourself to work things out. And when you trust God, it blesses you. As one of your pastors and, and friends, I... I want you to be blessed. Honestly, one of my fears is that you won't trust God. I want everyone to trust God. I want us to share it with as many people. And sometimes I worry, man, maybe I'm not doing a good enough job. Maybe I'm not doing a good enough job to communicate or share or love people around me. And I have to step back and remind myself, I'm not God. I just do my part and trust God to do it. But that's what I want for you. And if you're struggling to believe and trust God, pray, pray the prayer of the man who cried out to Jesus. He said, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. He didn't have full faith, and, and Jesus helped him and answered his prayer. Now, I don't have time to go through all 7,000 promises for you today, all right? But Jesus, we know Jesus came. He came to earth to forgive our sins, to die in our place. But he came for more than that. That's the most important reason, but he came for more than that. He also came to give us life. And the last verse on your outline says this. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood. The Son also became flesh and blood. 
That's pretty strange right there. The creator became, took on the form of the creation. For only as a human being could Jesus die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. You know, we don't have to be afraid to die if we have our faith and trust in Jesus because we know we're good with God. We know we're right with him, and he's going to take us. He said he's prepared a room for us in heaven. He's going to take us to be with him. No one else can do that for us. Might be afraid of the process of dying, but you don't have to be afraid to die. Go and be with God forever. So before we take communion together, I'd like us to pray. And if somebody could bring me one while I'm praying, that would be great. Just bow your heads for just a moment. And uh, just kind of pray along with me in your heart. Just kind of agree or echo along, express your own words. You know, God have to be honest so often I I'm living in fear and not faith I know I can't please you if I'm living a life without faith and I ask you to forgive me God help me to trust you trust your promises thank you for what Jesus did for us on the cross God thank you for the reminder that Jesus gave us this this simple remembrance that we can do together to remind us that you love us you treasure us that when we invite you into our lives, you turn our upside down, right side up. That we're forgiven and free. And that when we surrender to you, we can have confidence that we're not alone. So God, would you just, just help us to see it in a fresh way. That we can face our fears. We want to live like Mary, not like Herod, Lord. Not trying to control everything. Not paranoid, but we want to live with confidence and boldness. Lord, we love you. Thank you for loving us. Amen.